Well, good afternoon, everybody. Can you hear me? <laughs> okay. I think I need this microphone every day. <laughs> anyway. Go on, take it with you. People can't usually hear me. So, so, so God willing, we're going to look at this well-known story, which is called the, the Good Samaritan. And so you may be tempted to think, oh, I know the story of the Good Samaritan. I think I might just um, have 40 winks, really. <laughs> Maybe 50. <laughs> 60. But I just would ask you to take some, some caffeine, spiritual caffeine, and see if we can... I'm sure there, there's God's Word is always alive. There's always something new. Let's pray about that, shall we? So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd open our eyes to it, Lord. It's always, there's always something new. There's always something relevant for every person, uh, every moment, Lord. So we thank you for that and ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. So we all love baddies, don't we? What I mean is when we watch films and things, we like to see... Part of us likes to see German films about Nazi Germany, films about oppression of Afro-Americans, things like that. And I was thinking about a film that we watched recently called Hidden Figures, which is a very good film. And it's based around the time when John Glenn was, being, was going up to, into orbit around the Earth in space. And the, there was a group of Afro-American ladies, really, who were were three in particular who were extremely bright, but they suffered uh, from discrimination. And they worked at the place near Na NASA, you know, the North American called Space Agency. And they, one of them in particular was an am absolutely amazing at maths. And she could do things that could normally only be done on a computer. She could do in her head, sometimes with a little bit of recourse to a blackboard. <laughs> and and we, uh, John Glenn met all these, all the staff before he went up, and he was very impressed by everybody, but he remembered this, this African lady. Um, and there was a problem, in fact, when he was up in orbit. I don't know whether it's strictly true, but definitely in the film it says there definitely was a problem, that they were concerned as to when exactly he should come back to Earth, because the orbit is different. You know, you're in, on an ellipse when you're going around the world, but when you have to come back, it's different altogether, you know. And so they talked to John when he was up in the in the space capsule, and um, he said, ask the girl, you know, the, the, the smart one. And so they did, and she's, so they couldn't find her at first. She'd gone into a different block, and they had to run around. They did find her eventually, and she did her usual thing, a uh, bit on the blackboard and everything, and told them when, what they should do, and they, they followed her advice, and he came down safely. But that didn't, can you still hear me? <laughs> that didn't take away from the fact that geez, they all suffered a lot. They, they have to, when they wanted to go to the toilet, they had to go to a different building. They had to go two blocks away. You know, there was a whole lot of totally unnecessary racial, you know, ill feeling. So we, we look at these films and we think, how could anybody be so callous as those white people in those days? You know, but we, we're all the same. There's lots of things we do and we're doing now, I'm sure, that 
Our children will tell us in the future, you know, that they were, we were idiots. Why couldn't we see? <laughs> and this week we've had this man, Michael Bashir, who did the, the you know, Princess Di Diana interview, and people are criticizing him for the things he did wrong, but perhaps they ought to think about the interview and how it perhaps might have been an idea to help Princess Diana, which is what he was trying to do. So all that's to point out that we love to have baddies in our lives because they make us feel better. <laughs> so welcome to the word. And so we're going to look at the Good Samaritan, which is all about a baddie. At least it starts off that way. <laughs> a man who's a lawyer, he's not a barrister, he's not a solicitor, but he's one of these lawyers in the Old Testament who, you know, they love the Old uh, Testament, they love to read it and know it and, and see it as between them and God. And just last week, John was telling us about how Jesus prayed, thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Meaning that these things, i.e. the message of the kingdom, is hidden somehow to people who think they're clever, but it can be understood by anybody who's humble. And the lawyers and the Pharisees came across as these wise and understanding types. So let's read, it's from Luke 10, and I'll just read uh, from verse 25, just four verses to start with. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So being warned, he means to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, that's Jesus, and he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So, I said there are two characters, aren't there? Uh, there's the lawyer, we'll call him, I'm gonna call him Michael, okay? And Jesus. So, um, so he's, he comes with a word of warning. Luke says, a lawyer came to put him to the test. And we know that in the next chapter, actually, John will be telling us how Jesus talks directly to the lawyers and the Pharisees and says, woe to you. You load people with burdens that they can't carry and you're not willing to even lift a little finger to help them. And he warns them they're not going to heaven themselves and they're only stopping other people from getting there. But I want to think of this lawyer as somebody, somebody more like us. We're all like this. We've all got hard hearts. We all want to think are clever. And we're all, you know, we're all self-righteous. So at least he asks Jesus a good question, doesn't he? He says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Have you ever had a neighbor who asked you that? <laughs> really, maybe, maybe Frankie has, but <laughs> most of us have not. Most of us have not. I mean, I wish our neighbors would ask that of me. But it's mostly just, how are you? Oh, fine, <laughs> fine. Anyway, Jesus throws the question back. And Ask him, what, what do you, how do you see it? 
And he said what he said. You shall love the Lord your God, you know, with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, in the Old Testament it says, so God's laws are good. In the, in the Old Testament, in, in Deuteronomy, it says about loving the Lord with all your heart and soul and might. It doesn't mention your mind, but I think the mind got added in later. It's common sense, isn't it? You want to be a footballer? You're going to practice? You're going to love it with all your heart and soul and strength, but you're also going to use your head. You're going to want to strengthen yourself and you're going to practice. So you're going to use your mind. And the Lord's, and the Old Testament, and in the Psalms, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is in me, bless his holy name. It's the whole idea of everything in me, you know, bless the, whole, bless the Lord. And Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. And the second part of this, love your neighbor as yourself, comes also from the Old Testament. There's a book, Le book of Leviticus. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it sounds if you're just talking about your, your brothers, your family, people you love anyway. But it goes on to say, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you should love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the Lord reminds us that they were, reminds them that they were living in Egypt and they, they didn't enjoy it much. And so, you know, just in the same way, we've got aliens living with us, people from everywhere. And we must, we must love everybody. So it's a, it's a command to love strangers, isn't it? So anyway, Michael tells our Lord, he gives the right answer. And Jesus says, yes, you've got it. You've got to do this and you will live. So it's good news, isn't it? Good news. You've got to just do these things and you'll live. Wonderful. We're all going straight to heaven. It's just one problem maybe, isn't there? We can't uh, do it. We can't do it very well, can we? We all sin every day, don't we? Even Solomon, in all his glory, he was the one who wrote. We know, what did he write? Who can say, who can say I've kept my heart pure? I'm, I'm clean and without sin. Who can say? None of us can say that. And Paul writes in Romans about the struggle that we all have. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I cannot do the good I want, but the evil I don't want is what I keep on doing. So he writes about the war, the battle goes on in all of us. The problem is, if we do anything good at all, maybe for, maybe for 10 minutes, maybe for one minute, maybe for 10 seconds, pride comes in immediately, doesn't it? There was a famous preacher called Charles Spurgeon, in the 19th century. And after his, one of his services, a lady ran up to him and sa said most excitedly, Mr. Spurgeon, 
I haven't sinned for 20 years. <laughs> and he said, oh, madam, you must be very proud of that. <laughs> he, was, he, was trying to show you, he was trying to show her her pride, isn't it? So anyway, then, Luke warns us a second time that he, wanted to, he wants to ask another question, Michael. He wants to justify himself this time. And so he asks another question. I mean, who is my neighbor? And again, I, I think it's a, it's a good question. I think, wouldn't you like one of your neighbors to ask you that as well? It's a good question. Who is my neighbor? Do I just have to love, is it enough, enough to love my wife and children and sisters and brothers and cousins and maybe, maybe one or two, man, the man who lives opposite and the person I work with? Isn't that, isn't that enough? I mean, I can't do any more. So anyway, he asked Jesus. And so let's go on. So I'm going to read from verse 29 to 35. But he, this is Michael, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. A denarius is about one day's wages, as they used to say. So the priest would have been a descendant of Aaron, Moses', Moses brother. All the priests, you know, came from, and they had, they had their duties, and they used to think of themselves between their lives, living their lives between God and themselves. And perhaps he was frightened. They weren't allowed to have contact with blood and things. You know, he might become unclean, might be able to do his work that day, might be, un might be unclean for a week. I don't know. Anyway, he passed by on the other side. And the, the Levite was the same. He would have been a descendant of Levi. So they were sort of close to being the priests. But he wasn't descended from Aaron. So he was, they used to assist the priests. But the, he passed by on the other side as well. So they, they put their own work, their own time, their own comfort above the man's needs. Now, the, Michael would be horrified to hear the story about the Samaritan because they, the Jewish people thought of the Samaritans as rubbish, despised people. It all goes back to the time of Solomon. Who, you know, he sinned towards the end of his life and then the kingdom was divided and became Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And both kingdoms fell in the end, didn't they? But the f first one fell more severely and the people of Israel were carried, were carried off by the Assyrians and weren't able to come back. And the few that were left behind were forced to inter intermarry with the Assyrian people. And so they lost their 
Israelite in identity. And so it is really that you might say the ten, tri the ten tribes in the north and two in the south, and the ten tribes were more or less wiped out. But anyway, it was the Samaritan who helped. He bound up the man's wounds. He gave his love, gave his time, gave his money. He gave two days' wages at least, and he gave his and he worked. He did all those things, didn't he? He said, and he, he was thinking ahead. He had to go to work himself the next day. He said, "I've got to go now, but I'll give you this money, two days' wages. Look after him, and anything more, I'll pay you when I come back." The man might have still been ill, of course, when he came back, in which case he'd have to take him all the way back to Jerusalem, I suppose. But he put the man first. You know, he showed great compassion. He was the one most like Jesus, wasn't he? Can you hear me? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. So, so the, the crunch comes then, and so Jesus then says, well, which one was a neighbor to the to the man who was, who was injured. And of course, Michael knows that he means the Samaritan. Notice how, how Jesus turns it round, doesn't he? Because Michael originally asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, well, which of these men was a neighbor to the man who was injured? So Jesus wants to see, like Michael to see, it's not who's my neighbor, but how can you be a neighbor? You know, how, what does it mean to be a neighbor? Let's go on. And so the, then he, Jesus asks, which of these three do you think proved me to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This must have come as a great shock to Michael, I think. Now, there's a certain word I'm thinking of. This morning, nobody could get it, but it's very easy, really. It's 13 letters long, if you like crosswords. It's 13 letters long. It ends in Y. It rhymes with facility or agility. And it starts with I. And this underlies everything I've said so far, humanly speaking. Humanly speaking, everything I've said is, oh, come on, <laughs> M, M, Rhymes with ability. Impossibility. Thank you. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> it's an impossibility, isn't it? So that the teaching is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor all day, every day, all our lives. Then the promise is certainly we can, heaven is there. The problem is, of course, as you all know, we can't do it. But two chapters later, Jesus is going to say, fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And the way the, the Gospels, you know, we love the, to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they don't actually tell us the Gospel message until the end. When Jesus dies and rises again, then the message becomes clear, you know, that Jesus has died for us, that, we, that he knows we can't do it on our own, but he's made, he's made provision for us 
that if we trust in him, we can still go to heaven, even though we don't deserve it, because of his grace. So Jesus was actually the only person, the only God, only man who could ever keep the law, who could ever love his father like we're supposed to, and could ever love his neighbor like we're supposed to. He was actually the only one. And, but Jesus came to fulfill that and to make it possible for us. Let's just look at this another way for a minute, shall we? <coughs> it's those, there were three people who came to Jesus. There were probably many more, but three that I'm thinking of with similar, similar thoughts. So there was our friend Michael who said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him to love in a, comp in a compassionate way. Then there's the rich young man, you know, the rich or the rich ruler, who he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But it's much the same. Jesus, Jesus tells him to give away everything he has, because that's his stumbling block, and follow, follow Jesus. And there's Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee, but he comes at night because he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want his colleagues to know. And actually, he doesn't ask a question. I'm telling a lie, really. Uh, but he, Jesus knows that it, that's this question which is on his heart. He says, we know you're from God because nobody could do the things you do unless he came from God. And Jesus says immediately, I know you want to know how you can go to heaven. He says, you need to be born again. And Jesus reveals the gospel to him in John 3. You know, if he believes in him and what he's going to do, then he will go to heaven. I wonder why Jesus didn't tell Michael and didn't tell the rich young man this, the same thing. I, I don't really know, but I think it's because he wanted to make them aware of their need. We all have to be aware don't we, of our great need. We can't be saved until we, feel, until we know that we're lost. Isn't that right? Yes. My, my great-grandmother had a little, a little book and she was a very godly lady, which I never met her. She used to write things in it. It was a, like a book of prayer, but she used to write her own thoughts. And it was a simple story, very simple. It simply couldn't be more simple, <laughs> but it's very good. And it's, oh, I read it as a child and never forgot it. And it's just simply, there were these two old people living in a cottage and they'd never seen or heard of the Bible before. And so they were both reading it together, the two of them. <laughs> and the lady says to her husband, Sir, if, this, if what this book says is true, we are lost. <laughs> so they read on a bit more. And the husband says, Wife, if what this book says is true, we can be saved. <laughs> so you may laugh, but that is the message of the gospel, isn't it? We can't be saved till we know that we're lost. So let's just go back a little minute and Jesus tells him how to love, how to be a neighbor, really. Let's think about how we're, Jesus wants us to love our neighbors. So I think of it in three ways, or three groups of people. There's our spouse, if we have, 
if we're married, our, our family. We have a family anyway. Brothers and sisters, father and mother, neighbors, you know, our neighbor neighbors, people who live next door, opposite, people you work with, all those people. So we're going to love and people in church, of course. And <coughs> it says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Jesus was talking about the love that he showed his own disciples. They had to we have to love like he loved. I know there's a lot of love in Servants Church. I don't feel I can speak or lecture in any way. But I know that it can be hard to love one's own family, sometimes those who don't believe. You know, we people are our extended family. We are to love them just as much. And we have to open our hearts to them as well. That's just one group, group of people, isn't it? So carry on loving. Then there's the people who are strangers, like, like, the, like the man who was injured was a stranger to the Samaritan. The vulnerable, the hurting, the sick. I just want to tell you a story. Um, it's because none of us, none of you knew us 20 years ago, and whenever it was. We, we were living in Zimbabwe, and we had lived there for four years, and we were thinking of staying on there because we'd already moved around rather a lot. And we went, and <laughs> we didn't intend to keep on moving around. And suddenly God made it quite clear that we had to move again, and we had to come home. And it, it happened very suddenly, and we had to come back to Britain very suddenly. I can't tell you why. But we, there were six of us, and Helene and me and the four children, where our children were between 11 and 3. We had nowhere to stay. We had no transport. I had no job. Uh, we were a bit depressed. So we stayed with one of Helene's sisters, first of all. And then uh, another sister of hers had a flat in working, just two bedrooms. And we were just a bit low. We were very low. <coughs> and we went to a church, an Anglican church. And this was in Woking. And we met the vicar and his wife, and they were very kind. And I, I can't tell the story without being emotional. And his wife said that they were called Roger and Sheila. And his, his wife Sheila said that she would come around and see us the next day. So she came the next day. And there was no time before she said, why don't you, co why don't you come and stay with us? And they had five children. And one of the ch only one had left home. Their children were older than ours. So there was 12 of us. <laughs> and they helped us in so many, in many ways. There's emotional and emotional help and food, of course, clothes and jobs. And we homeschooled for a bit. Anyway, we, they got, got us on our feet. They were like the Good Samaritan. And it wasn't easy for them because their own children were doing, two of them were doing A-levels that, that year. And this was back in February. And anyway, we, then we moved again. And we went to Glasgow, and then we went to Leeds, and then we came to Norwich. <laughs> uh, but anyway, then it was years before we saw them again, although we used to keep in touch. And then years later, we, Helene had a big birthday. S surprise big birthday. It was rather fun, great fun, actually. And um, this, this couple came. And you know, lots of people, other people came. 
and we were, her birthday's near, near Christmas, so we're going to have a turkey and everything. And one of the neighbors, you know, we're talking about neighbors today, one of the neighbors had made the turkey, cooked the turkey, and we were just about to eat when this couple got up to go. <laughs> I thought, oh no. <laughs> and so I rushed out and saying, I, I can never, I can't repay you for all you did for us. I'm so sorry, I can't even repay you today, you know. And they said, they said one, something beautiful, I said, don't worry, just pass it on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I think this is the way God's kingdom works, isn't it? We have times of plenty and we have times when we don't have much. And we just have to share. Mm -hmm. And we don't take pride. And again, there's a great love in Servants Church, I know. I know there's a great love in the church. Because we, we just need to go on being, looking, watch, watching out for the strangers, for the vulnerable, for the sick, and for all those who are hurting. There are many people who are hurting and we don't really realize, I think. There are many people who are lonely at this moment, aren't they? After this long lockdown. Many people who are hurting. And so I've held off on the Bible verses at this stage, but of course, Jesus says, in Matthew 25, it says, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, <coughs> you did it to me. So this is very important, isn't it? And then I think there's a third category of people we need to love. And we tend to think of it as the hardest one. This is loving your enemies. Oh dear. This is what the Samaritan was doing there, wasn't he? He was loving somebody who was both a stranger and if anything, an enemy. <laughs> because um, if you read in John chapter 4, when Jesus meets the Samaritan lady at the well in Samaria. John tells us that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Very harsh. They were just untouchable, really. Sammy will know about untouchable people in India. Isn't that right? It's, a, it's the same idea. And Jesus has taught us, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? There's a lovely, I just want to give some examples that we actually all, probably all know. There's a story in the Old Testament, in the, in the Israel, you know, the, the northern, northern country that I was talking about before it got taken over. When there's a prophet, Elisha, and in the, that time, Israel was having a lot of trouble with the Syrians, the same Syria as we have today. Um, there's a lot of fighting, a lot of people being killed. And then Elisha uh, has a good idea, and he, he captures a whole lot of soldiers by making them blind. He can do things we, couldn't, we can't do, I think. But he, anyway, he leads them to Samaria. And he gives them a great feast and sends them home. <laughs> And the Bible writer casually says, so they didn't have any more fighting. <laughs> so that's the wonderful way, isn't it? Hospitality. 
And then Jesus, when he was on the cross, when he was dying, but before they put him on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the centurion watching, he saw this and he believed. He said, truly, this was the Son of God. And Stephen, remember the first martyr, Stephen, when he lay dying, he's, when he was, was being stoned, he said, Lord, don't hold this against them. And Saul, who became Paul, he saw that. And he, not, I'm not saying because of that, but he saw that. And many other Jewish people would have seen that. And Paul was converted later, wasn't he? And when Paul was converted, when he was in Philippi, and he was put in prison, and there was an earthquake, and all that everybody's chains came loose, and the jailer was going to kill himself, and Paul said, no, don't. We're all here, Paul said. Love your enemy. It's as if you, as if you to say, don't harm yourself. We're your friends. And what did the jailer say? He said, what must I do to be saved? It has a powerful effect, doesn't it? When we, can, when we can love our enemies, it's not easy. When we can do it, it seems to have a particularly great effect, doesn't it? And Paul writes in Romans, if your enemy, enemy, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And then he adds to this, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, you all, you've all heard of Abraham Lincoln. He had this extraordinary life, fairy tale life, really. He was born into a very, very poor family, so poor that they, there was one wall in their house which was incomplete. The house was never, the wall had not been built. And for years, it wasn't built. They didn't have enough money. And he had less than a year of schooling in his whole life. But, and then he ran a shop uh, for a little while, and he was known to be honest Abe. He was so honest. But he was a Christian. That was the main thing. The most important thing was that he was a dedicated Christian. And he used to look a bit like Zach. You know, he was very tall and strong and wary and gentle. <laughs> um, except that he was very hairy. Abraham Lincoln was also had lots of hair all over. And there was an, an enemy uh, when, of, that of him called Edwin Stanton, who was an American, an American in politics at that time, who hated, hated Lincoln for some reason and was very rude about him and called, called him the gorilla because of all this hair he had, <laughs> or the original gorilla. And this was at the time when Lincoln was coming up. It was a presidential you know, election. So unfortunately for Mr. Stanton, or maybe fortunately, Lincoln was elected. Oh dear. <laughs> what can happen to Mr. Stanton now? But when Lincoln formed his cabinet, he asked Mr. Stanton to join, to join him. Come. <laughs> and Lincoln's friend said, what did you do that for? <laughs> but he used to say, well, he's the best man for the job, isn't he? And so the two of them worked together. <laughs> Miss, Mr. Stanton was completely won over by, I suppose, by the kindness 
and then came it, and they, they were tremendous friends. I mean, Lincoln also relied on him. He made him his war. It was a civil war. Then he made him the war secretary. It was a great friendship. And then came that terrible day when Lincoln was assassinated. And Stanton was really broken by this. And he wanted to speak at the funeral. And we, he, he, did, he did speak and he said, and he looked at the body and said, there lies the most perfect leader of men that the world has ever seen. So it's just, it's a wonderful example of <coughs> overcoming evil with good, isn't it? This is what people might say, how can you overcome, you know, what does Paul mean? Don't become, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we, we can do it, it's, it's not easy. Lincoln used to say, hold your friends close and your enemies closer. <laughs> I mean, I've had enemies in life and at work mainly and things like that. And we've invited them for meals and I can't claim any great success or any great conversions. But I do believe that if we take opportunities to help our enemies, because, you know, people who really, really don't like us, it is really important in the kingdom. If you read the Open Doors literature and stuff, this is a story of um, uh, you know, Muslim militants attacking churches. In one case, they came along to a group of believers like this, and they came up, up against the wall. They all had, all had rifles. And then they said, now, anybody who doesn't, if you don't value Christianity more than your own life, you can go. So a lot of people went, and then they left about five or six up against the wall, and they were expected to be shot. In fact, these men put their guns down. They said, no, you're obviously real Christians. Will you, will you please tell us about Christianity? So that's, obviously that's quite rare, isn't it? So what happened to Michael himself? We don't, we don't know, really. We're not, we're not told. I mean the, I mean the lawyer. But we do know that after Jesus' death and his resurrection, many Jewish leaders must have turned to believe in, in, him, in him. In fact, Luke, the same Luke, writes the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 6, he says, A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it? So what can we conclude from all this? I've said a lot. What does it all mean? And firstly, God's laws are really good. We must love God with all our heart and all our mind, and, sorry, all our soul and all our strength and all our mind, and love our neighbors as ourselves, the stranger, the sick, the enemy. We must, as far as possible, love everybody as much as we can, as, well as, as much as we love ourselves. But humanly, it's, it is impossible. So we see our need for a saviour. But we've got a saviour. Jesus has come and we have put our trust in him. And with him all things are possible. So every time we fail, we just come to him and, and say, Lord, forgive me. We come to the cross every day, every hour. And he will strengthen us with his love and with his kindness and with his strength and with his mind. And gradually we are transformed, aren't we? Gradually we're being sanctified. We will have a million miles to go, 
but he's the one who can forgive us always. And the more we love, the more we grow, the more we see how much God loves us and how much he has loved us through the cross and everything else, the more we can love him and love others. And every time we can love the stranger or the sick or the enemy, God can work through us, I believe, and we can help to, he can help. We can do our little bit, I mean, to see the growth of the kingdom. Shall we pray? Thanks. So Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your, your really great laws, that we are to love you with all our heart and soul and strength and mind as well, and, and we're also to love everybody, everybody uh, with your love. But we can't do it, Lord. We fail all the time, and humanly it's impossible, but we know that you can equip us you can guide us, you can lead us to people who are hurting, so we might love them. Given this time of lockdown and everything, you, you can make the way, Lord. We know that you can lead us to people who are hurting. And we can find love as well. We can, in loving other people, we can also find love ourselves. So please help us be your servants, to be loving, to be the people that you want us to be. And help us to love the stranger, the sick, the hurting, and the enemy, as well as our own families and those who we can love more easily. So please help us to do this, Lord. And we ask it in your holy name. Amen. Thank you very much.